Hello and welcome to What's the Big Deal About Greenville. In today's episode, I sit down with Will Schertz. Will is a co-owner and green coffee buyer at Methodical Coffee. He talks about the coffee industry and the coffee shop culture here in Greenville. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming and sitting down with me, Will. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Um, at the beginning of the interviews, we like to go ahead and just get the story behind uh, who we're interviewing. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of share like your origins in coffee, um, how you got to where you're at right now, and just let our audience know. Yeah, totally. So um, here in Greenville, I, I mean, I've been in Greenville ever since I was two years old. So I, I grew up here, and my family, for the most most of my life, was in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always kind of grew up enjoying hospitality, you know, and, and liking that. But when I graduated a little bit before I graduated high school, I had been working for cafes for a couple years mm-hmm. by then, you know, starting around the 11th grade. And dude, I don't, I don't know what there was about it, but I just like really started to fall in love with the service industry when it comes to like cafes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, staying, staying a little bit out of the food, industry was was good for me I, I never really like fell in love with that part mm-hmm. of it so there's some about cafes that I just really wanted to stick with so instead of going to university for I was going to go to college for recording engineering mm-hmm. I decided instead to start a mobile coffee bar called Vagabond Barista oh. and it was two weeks before I graduated high school and I just kind of started that up out of um, just kind of like a out of a yearning for wanting to make coffee a career, not really knowing how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was working in cafes and then doing Vagabond Barista, and that's kind of how everything started out. And um, kind of everything just kind of morphed since then, you know, and here we are today. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Like, where did you go after the did – you, did you associate yourself with other, with other cafes after Vagabond, or has that always been something that's going in the background, or how did, yeah, how so, did it – t- talk about the morphing process. Like, how did that – how did you get from how, how do you connect the dots between like you being an entrepreneur and then like being associated with methodical? And I guess you still are yeah. an entrepreneur, you know? <laughs> so when I started Vagabond Barista, I was like 18 or 19 years old. And the guy that did all of my branding and design for Vagabond Barista was his name was Mark is Marco Suarez. Mm-hmm. And we became friends after we met up and he did all my branding for Vagabond Breeze. So we just became friends for the next, you know, forever mm-hmm. <laughs> after yeah, that. Yeah. And so he, I met Marco Suarez because of that. I did Vagabond Barista for about two or three years while working at Coffee and Crema, which was a amazing cafe here in Greenville mm-hmm. for a long time. And yeah, then, and then I also had a stint of time where I was helping a guy import coffee. And then at a at a coffee tasting I was hosting, this guy named David Baker walked into the tasting and him and I became friends after that. And I was I remember I was walking down the street one day, still doing Vagabond Barista, and I got a text message from Marco. He was living in Atlanta at the time, working for MailChimp. Mm -hmm. And I got a text message and it said, Hey man, like you think you'd ever want to start a, a cafe up together? And I had been doing Vagabond Barista for a, a pretty long time at this point. And it was very, it was super fun. Like we traveled all around. We would drive 
we drove all the way up to New York and, and popped up caf- did pop up cafes at mm-hmm. universities and stuff. And it was really fun, but it was kind of lonely sometimes because it was mostly by myself. And the idea of having a brick and mortar cafe and doing it with somebody and starting a community like that mm-hmm. was just like, that was it for me. You know, I, I got that text and I was just like, yeah, definitely, let's do this. And I said, but we need to bring David Baker on board because Marco, Marco Suarez, he's a, he does all of our design and marketing and customer mm-hmm. experience. And I'm the coffee guy that, you know, source our green coffee and all of our, just anything to do with coffee. Right. And David is a business operations guy. So it was just perfect. Okay, a trifecta. Yeah. And they met and like, they really hit it off. And so we've just been great friends ever since. And that's kind of how Methodicals got started. Okay. So like in terms of, uh, so in terms of like uh, coffee culture being like, I know that coffee, like in, in, at least in the terms in like how I've grown up is that coffee seemed to be associated with like what's hip about pop culture. Like, Mm -hmm. why do you think that is? Um, Why do you think there's that association? I love that question. And it, and it, when, when you say that, it makes total sense to me. Because I think ever since cafes started to be a thing, like all the way back in time when coffee was a new thing, you know, mm-hmm. and cafes started popping up in, in England and just like, oh, when, what was the date? I don't know. I'm probably getting it wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking like 1700s, 1800s, mm-hmm. like way back yeah. when cafes were always and they have always been the spot that people go to to talk, you know, and mm-hmm share news and um you know when cafes first started i think it was kind of an unwritten rule that you 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 came to the table and you came into the cafe not to gossip and not to slander but to to talk about good things and and what's new and what's the news Mm -hmm. and i think that's why it's related with with pop culture now and why everybody views cafes as being the trendy spot now because I think there's still that spot where people gather and they talk and, and that's where you learn about like what's, what's happening, you know, hmm. to where people communicate. Yeah. Like kind of a ritual, I guess. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now when you so, get, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just thinking it's, it's just always been the epicenter of, of people from all different types of backgrounds and industries. It's where they all come together, you know, and meet. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's uh, that's closely associated with like bar culture? I mean, at least here in America, like it's kind of like we're gonna meet over, we're gonna meet over yeah. a drink, no matter what that is. Yeah, I think I think it has been, and you know, you know, there were bars back then when when the cafe culture started to pop up too, mm-hmm. and I think, and and not to say that when you go to a bar you drink too much, but mm-hmm. I think it was just uh, it was a place where people go. And they're like, wow, you know, well, wow, alcohol kind of slows my mind down. Mm-hmm. Caffeine speeds it up. And so it was, <laughs> it was, it's been known as this place where you're, you know, you're sober minded and your, your, your mind is kind of like lit, mm-hmm. lit up with, with the caffeine and the coffee. And so it was kind of this people do go to bars to have the same kind of meeting and, and community. Mm-hmm. And when the cafe culture started rolling around, it was, it was, you know, they go there in the morning time when they're when they're awake, and they go there to be kind of enlivened by the actual coffee itself. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it does kind of transition into 
bar culture, cafe culture, and they 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 do have a lot of mesh over. Did um you know there's been this push like in the '90s? It kind of seemed like there was this corporatization of coffee, and we've mm-hmm. seen this resurgence back to like your local community coffee shop. Um, in terms of trends, like what kind of trends have you noticed in coffee recently? Um, that you know are kind of on the horizon. I mean, are we are we looking for more specialization, or you know, each each yeah. each cafe being unique in certain ways, or what? Yeah, I think going going back to the '90s when Starbucks really had its boom, they kind of ingrained into people's daily habits the concept of that that third space not work and not home but but someplace else to go mm-hmm. and they kind of made that popular in our modern world and so we owe we owe the, the concept of the modern day cafe to companies like starbucks honestly mm-hmm. um they really kind of got it started and now well and there's two there's kind of two two topics to this because like we're talking right now in this time of the virus so right yeah but yeah. even before the virus when you know everything was was pretty normal there there's a little bit of a shift going on where i feel like the the consumer that was previously drinking the mass-produced more corporate style coffee and and it was in their habits to go to that kind of cafe mm-hmm. i feel like more and more of them are finding their local cafe and coming around to the concept of like supporting more local business and um just like connecting to people that aren't really a part of that corporate setting as much and so i think that has been like a really big trend starting around maybe 2008 or 2010 it started to become really the the idea of supporting your local cafe started to kind of boom and i don't think that's going away i think that's going to become increasingly so where people start maybe stop going to the more corporate style cafes and and Mm. and find their local spot right and um i think people are starting to take a little bit more interest in the actual coffee that they're drinking too you know they're starting to think about the variety of different coffee profiles that you can get and Mm. they're starting to find their morning ritual where they're paying a little bit more attention to the actual beans that they're getting from their local cafe too do you a little bit a little bit like wine okay yeah yeah it's uh do you think that uh you know i guess like back to the back to the pandemic like how is uh, methodical coffee adapted to that i mean you know it's like i know that the commons we've kind of been we've kind of shut things down and um you know how is how they How's methodical kind of weathered that? And have you had going back to that community thing? Have you had people that you know are just you know they they're gung ho? It's like you know you know whatever the whatever the stay at home order is, I'm going to get my coffee at Methodical. <laughs> How have you guys uh, responded to that? Yeah. So on on the cafe side, they have definitely become very slow. You know, we we do curbside service mm-hmm. and. And that's really nice because people are still coming by and supporting us. But we have noticed in the roasting facility that, you know, we we used to, our main roasting 
used to be for wholesale customers mm -hmm. where we were shipping coffee to cafes around the country and we would ship one box of 40 pounds of coffee to a cafe. But once all this started, we're noticing that now we're shipping 40 boxes of one bag of coffee because people are ordering so much more coffee for their house. Hmm. And, and it's really cool too. Like they, you know, they could order it online somewhere else that, that might be a, a little more easy to get coffee. Like, you know, talking about the corporate, sure. the corporate websites and whatnot. Yeah. But so many people are ordering coffee from our website. And we've also around the local area here, I think it's a 15 mile radius from where we're at right, mm -hmm. right now we will, there's an option that you can have your coffee delivered to your house. And so we're, oh, nice. we, Monday or what? Oh gosh. I don't know what days we're delivering right now. I think it's, I think it's Saturday through Friday roughly. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have delivery routes now. And so every day we're out and about dropping bags of coffee off at people's houses and tons of people have been doing that through us and that we've been really grateful for that so that's kind of how things have, have shifted for us we're, we're focused a lot more on on those like those smaller orders going to people's homes and that's been really nice too because now we can kind of we can kind of dig into the copies that we offer and have a little fun with that where we can find fun stuff that's that is kind of uh maybe a very small production of of this one copy that a lot of these customers are going to want as a special morning ritual, you know, mm -hmm. for their, for their home instead of going out to a cafe. Right. Uh, to get, not to get too much in the weeds, but I, I and I find this fascinating. Um, you know, since you're the green buyer, like what's the process and, you know, and I'm not asking you to give me any trade secrets or anything. I know every, every place has its own <laughs> unique setup, but um, like what, what's your process of number one, deciding on the roast that you'll use and I know you have your, your signature ones like Blue Boy, Belly Warmer. Uh, you have some Guatemalan blends and, uh, and things like that. Um, and then what's your, what's your process of selecting the beans and then roasting the beans? Just, in, you know, the Cliff's Notes. Because um, I, I find that really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too, man. I, that's one of the most fun parts about my job. And uh, I'm still learning a lot. You know, we've been mm -hmm. doing, we've been roasting coffee for about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So that is just, it's so new. We're so new to all of this. So anything that I say, I might, I might change that in, in like six months when I learn more. Sure, but absolutely. ultimately the process of finding, and it's, it's really funny. Like that's another, I should have mentioned that when we're talking about kind of like the new wave and like the, the new culture of coffee coming about mm -hmm. is all of these new cafes and roasteries popping up, including us. It's like, there's really very, like there's really very little secrets and everyone is so open about their process and communicating that to, you know, people that are our competitors, but they're our friends too. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really nice because you know, in the 90s and kind of in the early 2000s, the roast profiles and the copies that you buy, everything did was very secretive. I wasn't mm -hmm. in the industry then, but that's what I hear. Mm -hmm. And now everything is just kind of wide open. And I think people are realizing that it's it's not necessarily the secrets that make the company. It's It's more so like, you know, the heart and the desire for community. And so when, <laughs> when, 
one of those things leads into me talking about how we source our coffee. So we partner with coffee importers and that's how we're able to have a connection to coffee farmers around the world because we're, we're so small. We can't travel to every coffee farm that we buy coffee from and shake the, the farmer's hands. Yeah, sure. Um, this, that's actually, it sounds more sustainable, but it's actually less sustainable for, for us to do that. Uh, we could be spending our money elsewise, mm -hmm. but we partner with small coffee importers who have super deep, really, really amazing relationships with coffee cooperatives and farmers all around the world. And through them, we have a hundred percent traceability to like who we're buying, who we're really buying coffee from nice. and really fun. So different countries ship coffee to the States, like they harvest and ship coffee to the United States and different throughout different times of the year. Mm -hmm. So there are kind of seasons in the coffee world. And when, when let's, for instance, when Guatemala is having a harvest, we will get a bunch of samples and we roast small amounts of it. And we do what's called a coffee cupping, which is like a, a formal way of tasting and evaluating coffee. Mm -hmm. And through that, we kind of decide, what we're going to buy for the season, what we're going to buy for the next six months or so. Mm -hmm. And, and then we purchase, you know, the bigger amounts of the coffee, um, you know, the, the contracts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when we bring that in, most, most of what we offer is single origin. So it's not a blend. Okay. You know, it's, it'll, it'll either say Guatemala or you, you'll see the, the country name on the label. Mm -hmm. And then we have four blends that we offer. Now Plain one... Ice, Belly Warmer, Blue Boy, and Pink Lady. Okay. So is that is that preferable to the – is one preferable to the other, or do you – is it does it, is there something that says, okay, we probably should have this as a blend, or what's the de what's the decision-making process there? Yeah, yeah. So in my opinion, I think you – a company – like I think – well, I don't want to say what other companies should do, but for what – the reason we create blends – is we want to create a flavor profile mm -hmm. that we can have year round so that if somebody buys blue boy it'll taste the same now than it will in 10 months from now okay and so, since coffee is seasonal mm -hmm. say the blue boy blend has 30 percent of this specific colombian coffee colombia frontera de planaris that's what mm -hmm. it's in it now but 10 months from now we might run out of that colombian coffee but we can source a different coffee that has the same flavor profile of the Colombian coffee and put it in the blue boy blend. Mm. So that it's, it's a way to have a consistent flavor year round. Mm -hmm. And it's also a way like it helps, it helps people that want to just have their everyday cup of coffee and they want to yeah. know exactly what to expect. It can be their go-to. Right. Whereas the single origin coffees we might only have for anywhere from like two to six or seven months at a time and then they go away and they'll come back next year and so mm -hmm. they're not as they're not as uh, steadfast on our menu because they because of the seasonality and because we can't usually buy enough for a whole 12 months before the coffee starts to to taste a little bit old mm, okay so what what's what are the factors i mean do you have to like watch the weather and like i mean it's like like you know if there's like if there's like uh you know, what factors go into, like, the taste of the coffee? I mean, you know, anything organic, you're going to, you know, their their effect, any kind of crop, I guess I should say, is, like, it's going to be affected by, like, weather and moisture and, um, you know, how cold the winter was and so forth. I mean, what factors really, I mean, have you, do you have any, like, anecdotes about that or have you noticed it or? Yeah, yeah. And so, and that's, 
fun to talk about because we buy from a lot of the same farmers every mm-hmm. single year. And every year, you know, if, if there's a, a farmer that we buy from every year, we do notice that their coffee tastes different every year. Mm-hmm. And, and it might taste a lot similar to how it tasted the, the season before, but it is going to taste different year after year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, on the, on the farm in the coffee producing country, it really does. It has a lot to do with, um, the rain, the sunshine, what the weather is like, like the co- coffee grows in it in, it's a seed of a cherry. So, mm-hmm. you know, it all depends on how ripe that cherry gets and when it was picked. And then after the cherries are picked, it depends on how well they're processed to get ready for export. And then, and then once it's being exported, it has to, it, it's shipped on the ocean, most coffee. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be tra- transported safely. And then when it gets to us, we have to roast it consistently. And so it's just hundreds oh, wow. of hands that are touching the coffee yeah. that have to do with how it's going to taste. Mm-hmm. It all starts It all starts with the farm, you know, growing mm-hmm. those coffee cherries. And then how the process shift and then how we store our coffee and then how we roast it. And so it's kind of endless. You could really get down into a – Right. Um, man, I always forget that phrase. Is it rabbit hole or bunny trail? No. <laughs> I think it's for Easter, but no, it's like you. They, uh, no, a rabbit trail is where you're like off, you know, or you can fall down the, you can fall down like you know a black hole of just talking about everything. <laughs> exactly. Know, it's like, yeah, rabbit trail. I think is the is the term. Um, yeah. It, no, but seriously, like that. I mean, there's whole like books and stuff like devoted to talking about the ins and outs. Um, anything? Okay. Uh, have you had any experience in the roasting process, like just in terms of experimentation that you're like, oh man, I'm, uh, you know, like what's been the most challenging part of that? Um, you know, just that learning curve of roasting. And I mean, I'm uh-huh. sure that I'm sure there's a, there's a whole art to it. Um, just yeah. like anything else. Roasting is, is so finicky because, you know, I've, I've learned over the past three years that it, it, feels artistic but really it's a lot of science Mm -hmm. and especially when you want to be consistent and you want your you want a coffee to taste the same Mm -hmm. all like for the whole duration of that inventory that Mm -hmm. you have and so it has a lot to do with heat and airflow and time and and temperature and what i've learned is the the quality of coffee I feel like has a lot more to do with the green, the green buying. And I I don't want to, I'm not trying to discredit coffee roasting because we are coffee roasters, Mm -hmm. but I feel like 90% of the work is done when the coffee gets to our warehouse. You've Mm -hmm. had the farming and the, the processing and Mm -hmm. the shipping and all that handling. And then we get it and we are the last part of the process that before the beans are just in a bag ready to be brewed. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we, we have to figure out how to roast coffee well and, and to bring out the most flavor that we possibly can. But we can't get, we can't make a coffee better than it already is. You know, mm-hmm. so if we if we buy a, a if we buy an OK coffee, we can't make it fantastic. Right. But if we buy fantastic coffee that's been farmed and processed just incredibly well, we, we set a higher ceiling for ourselves in the roastery. Because we can try to to be better roasters and more consistent roasters to bring out the coffee's potential. So, 
green coffee buying is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. And I, I think a lot more difficult than most people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a lot to do with, with patience and, and having a decisive palate and tasting in a group so that you can hear everybody's opinions. Right. And then those decisions impact our menu a lot and, and the potential of the quality of our coffee in the long run. In terms of like, yeah, the palate, and that was something else I was interested in. Like, okay, so you've got to sit there and you have to, you do like what's called like the cupping, and you would uh-huh. have to, you're, you're tasting all these things with like teaspoons. Like, how do you, I mean, is there such a thing as like taste blindness? Like, eventually over time, you like, you know, it's like your, your palate, like you get, does, I mean, I know it hones to a certain point, but is there like, is there a practice or is there, do every now and then you have to give it a rest? And, like, I mean, when you're tasting oh, yeah. so much coffee, like, how do you, like, and I've heard that, okay, like, um, like, w- like at perfume counters, they'll have, like, these little shakers that have coffee beans in them because <laughs> the coffee will, like, you know, if you're, if you're smelling different perfumes, like, eventually, like, they all kind of run together and you can't distinguish. So you'll have to, every now and then you've got to cleanse, like, your, your uh, nasal palate, like your olfactory palate with these coffee beans so you smell those well how do you how do you do that with coffee <laughs> if coffee is like the reset button then how do you how do you do that so yeah yeah absolutely i mean yeah they call it palate fatigue okay and so it's a thing <laughs> it's a de- it's a real thing and you know the the first a, a coffee cupping is really fun we could we could one day we could talk more about that but a coffee cupping is essentially where you can taste a lot of coffee side by side all at one time mm-hmm and you can taste 30 we can be tasting 30 coffees at a time and the the first factor is when we're cupping coffee that many coffees we spit the coffee out into a cup mm, because okay like wine the more tasting. caffeine you intake the harder it is to decipher taste actually so okay. like the more caffeinated you get so interesting but the real the I don't know. I mean, it does take practice, you know, Yeah. because palate fatigue, if you're tasting 30 coffees for the first time, they really, they probably really will all run together. Even if you are spitting the coffee out, not getting over caffeinated, mm-hmm. but you got to drink a lot of water. And, and then over time, as you're tasting all these coffees, you learn to put names to what you're tasting. Mm. And from there, your, your palate vocabulary just, just grows. And, there's a chart actually called there's a chart called the flavor wheel Mm -hmm. and it's all of the identified flavor characteristics found in coffee and it really as you're tasting it you can actually look at the flavor wheel and and put names to the taste and it really helps you develop vocabulary and the more that you taste the more your vocabulary grows and the more you can talk about the coffee and so it's really fun it's one of my favorite parts about tasting coffee Mm -hmm. and the whole process of being here in the coffee roasting facility is um is there a certification for baristas like in terms of that like i know with wine you know you have your sommeliers and um you know and, and co- is there something is there an equivalent in the coffee world to that um where you can get like a yeah it is certification yep there there's a certification and it is called the q grader certification like the letter q mm-hmm. and it is a week-long test where you do you take a test every single day um man i think it i think it costs about six thousand dollars it depends on who you're taking it from but it can cost anywhere from like three to seven thousand dollars 
um, to take this course. So a lot of people, a lot of people say that it is equivalent to maybe taking your master sommelier exam. Mm -hmm. And for any master sommeliers who are listening to this podcast, I hope they take that as a compliment. Yeah. (laughs) Because it takes a long, it takes a long time just to get your master sommelier. There are a lot, there are a lot less master sommeliers in the world than Q graders, but it is very difficult to to get the Q grader certification. Um, so some some questions about uh, your your process in general, or like how how you've grown as an entrepreneur. Um, what is uh, what's something you wish you would have known? Like if you could go back in time and talk to your eighteen year old self when you're first starting out, like. What is something you tell him? Um, I mean, having to do with the man, having to do with I the do? business, I'm... not <laughs> like, like, yeah. it's like invest in Google, you know. <laughs> really funny. Right. Having to do with the business, I probably would say for myself, what I would have told myself when I was eighteen is hire an accountant to help you with your books. <laughs> okay. Um, I've, I'm, I'm not the, the finance person for methodical. And when I was doing Vagabond Barista, I, I would have been in a lot better place if I would have just known more about finance in general. Hmm. So I can, you know, I can get business and, and it's a lot of fun for me just to go out and about and like do the hands-on stuff. But, uh, I've never been one to be very like strict on the books. And mm-hmm. so that's something that, I, that I'm learning a lot is, you know, do the fun stuff and, and get your work done and do what you love, but then take time to take care of the business side of things mm-hmm. and um, stay organized. Cause that's, that's what makes things sustainable. I've had uh, just in some of the interviews I've done, I've had a lot of people mention that just knowing the business yeah. side of things. Um, what are some skills you think, uh, made you successful. I, I can name one. It's just it's like having just this positive outlook on life, man. You just like light up the room. <laughs> I'm telling you what. <laughs> Thanks, man. But um, what yeah. uh, what uh, skills do you th- would you say about yourself have helped you become successful? Um, man, I don't know. I think I think it is that I just really love people. You know, really mm-hmm. love being around people and and making sure everyone feels comfortable and 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 settled in and. I think at the beginning of things, I think it might have been the fact that I didn't know how, how risky it was, what I was getting into. I, I just thought it was the, the next step, and I didn't really think about all the risks associated with it, and I still probably don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you <laughs> and, don't know um, what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, just just kind of – maybe just kind of diving in and, and – what is it? I, I think it might be – one day it might be a fault of mine, but I just – I never I never think about the – anything going wrong <laughs> and so man that's great and, and uh it's worked out so far um but i think ultimately it's just that I, I just love people you know mm-hmm. that's good answer good answer every, okay every business has its challenges um what do you think is the most challenging part of uh working in a cafe like what do, what do you think what do you think the most challenging part of your job is I think that there, there's two things. I think um, people management is. I just said I love people, <laughs> but people <laughs> management is really difficult. Yeah, um, we have about thirty or so employees, mm-hmm. and just making sure that like 
you're doing what's best for them and you're also doing what's best for your business. And sometimes those, those two things kind of butt heads. So you have to find an even ground and you know, that can be really difficult. But I think the most difficult thing about working in the cafe kind of goes back to the cafe being the epicenter of, of what is hip and popular. The most difficult thing is remembering to not compare ourselves to other businesses, because mm. I think that's where you can really go down a black hole, you know, and mm -hmm. you can focus so much on what everybody else is doing that you're not looking at the road, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, <laughs> yeah. you're going to run off it. And, um, I just think it's so important to focus on what you're doing and, and try to do it the best you can. What are you most proud of so far? Um, Career's not over yet, I, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so far, I, I think what I'm most proud of is the team that we have. Because, and, and the fact that my, you know, Marco and David, my business partners, we've just been great friends ever since. And people say, don't go into business with your friends because mm -hmm. it might not turn out so well, but I'm just really proud that like, you know, we're still great friends and the team that we have is just, it's just unreal. Like if we, if we go on to our um, like Google reviews or something like that, I'll, just so many of the positive reviews are about, are about the people and the staff and, mm -hmm. and how cared for they feel. And I, I think I'm the most proud about that. Um, and you know, hiring is pretty tricky, but we, sure. so I don't know if I should say it, but I, do, I feel like we got lucky, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we're just always, we, we're just always getting these fantastic people to be in our family. So mm -hmm. I really just love that. When you're not at work, what do you do? What do you, what do you like doing? Um, hanging out with my wife and my puppy. There you go. <laughs> we do. <laughs> We do a lot of hanging out on our porch. We like to get outside and, and we like to go on hikes. Um, I really like a side hobby of mine is wine. And so I'm always reading about wine and trying to find new wines to taste and, and all that. So that's something that I spend a lot of time doing is, is, is studying about wine. What you've been drinking lately? I've been drinking a lot of... Um, these wines i've been i've been studying italy lately mm -hmm. and i just started studying italy about a month ago and so i've been drinking a lot of italian wine and that is really confusing because in italy there's just so many different types of of grapes and all these crazy names and so i've been drinking a lot of that and trying to decipher all the different grapes and all the different regions and then another wine that i've been drinking is from california from ruth lewandowski mm -hmm. wines mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite. His name is Evan Lewandowski. His company is Ruth Lewandowski Wines. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite winemakers right now. I just love all the wines he makes. Um, okay, so just as you as a professional, um, in your opinion, how do you brew the perfect cup of coffee? Okay, it's a loaded so, question. Oh yeah, and this actually this kind of goes back to what would I tell myself when I was eighteen? Because <laughs> my when you asked me that the first thing I thought of is people just need to brew it the way they want it to make it the best experience for them. And when I was 18, that's not what I thought. <laughs> mm. I thought people need to brew it the way I think they need to brew it because this is the best way. They just don't know it yet. And, mm. and, and the, the concept, that concept of, of people need to experience coffee in this pure way 
I mean, it just like, it's not, it's not what the heart of coffee is. You know, the heart of coffee is people. And so I think, I think the best cup of coffee is, I mean, if you want to talk technically, I think you need to, you should have a good coffee grinder and a, and a good coffee brewer, but it doesn't need to be a, a really hip pour over, you know, you mm-hmm. can make it just a drip cup of coffee. And if you want cream or sugar in it, I just put cream and sugar in it. And so that's a big shift in my mind that I've had over the past two or three years is, mm-hmm. you know, coffee is meant to be enjoyed absolutely any way people want to enjoy it. If people want to buy our most expensive coffee and douse it with cream and sugar, I still think, I don't think that coffee went to waste because it's, it's, it's helping those people enjoy a cup of coffee. And so the way I like to brew coffee though, I've been enjoying just black drip coffee lately. Really simple. I have a, I have a coffee brewer at home. It's a Bonavita, mm-hmm. just a coffee yep. pot brewer. But the Bona Vita really controls the temperature. And so I think it's important to brew coffee at a good temperature, at least, uh, around 205 degrees. Mm-hmm. And I've just been enjoying um, I've just been enjoying that lately. Grind it up on a quality burr grinder and then brew it any way you want. <laughs> and if, if somebody really wanted to figure out, like, the absolute best way to brew their coffee and go down that kind of nerdy, um, nerdy trail – then there's there's about an hour's worth of stuff I could talk about there. <laughs> or maybe episode two, episode two, how to brew yeah. coffee with Wilshire. <laughs> um, okay, so two questions to wrap it up. So, what's the future for Methodical Coffee? Uh, do you guys have any? Can you talk about any uh, anything you guys have in the works or? What's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. I've never really been secretive with our plans. And there's this one thing I'm thinking about that I don't actually know if I should say it or not, but it has to do with something that you'll be able to get on the website. And it's just going to be uh, this coming year, starting this coming year, starting in June and July. Okay. um, We are going to be sourcing and providing way more coffee offerings than we have in the past. And they're going to, they're going to, run the gamut and it's going to be really exciting um so and that is going to look that's going to look like something special and i can't wait for people to see it <laughs> okay fair enough fair um enough. so ultimately this coming year i'm focusing on on sourcing a lot of new coffees and it's going to be really fun cool all right i like to wrap up every uh every interview with the name of my podcast which is what's the big deal about greenville so will shirts what's the big deal about greenville I love that question. I'm I'm green, one of Greenville's biggest fans. <laughs> I promise you, I am. Um, you know, and it's funny. I I think about that a lot because people ask me because of how much I love Greenville. I and I think the big the big deal about Greenville. I I, I can't put a word to it because everybody has a lot of restaurants. Everybody mm-hmm. has a lot of great people, but there's something intangible about the community of Greenville. That when people come here, they just they just kind of feel this um, very comforting feeling. I think, mm-hmm. and I I think it makes people want to stay. Oh man, good answer, good answer. Well, thanks a lot, Will. I really appreciate it. It's a good talk. That's awesome. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, that sounds good, man. All right. This podcast is written and produced by me, Bill Kammer. I'm a realtor in the Greenville area, and I'd love to be your go-to agent here. Please contact me at wkammer at parkergroupservices.com for more information. 
What's the Big Deal About Greenville is recorded at the Parker Group, a boutique real estate company offering residential and commercial real estate services, property management, and development consulting. Visit the Parker Group at parkergroupservices.com. For guest info, visit the website at thebigdealgreenville.transistor.fm. You can also like the show at Facebook and Instagram at The Big Deal Greenville or on Twitter at The Big Deal GVL. Artwork by Corey Godby. Music is licensed by Storyblocks Audio. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at TheBigDealGreenville at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, y'all.